teacher friend. Welcome to the Simply Teach podcast. I'm your host, Kelly Jackson, and each week I bring on a teacher friend to talk about simple ways to engage our students, stay motivated, and keep up with best practices. I'm so glad that you're here. Before we get started, I want to make sure that you have connected with me in two different places. First, the Simply Organized Teacher Community Facebook group. The group is a place for us to interact together, support, and collaborate with each other, and I would love for you to join us there. Just search the Simply Organized Teacher on Facebook and make sure to click the group. Secondly, I want to make sure you're on my email list. I share all sorts of stuff there first, and I want you to know about it when it comes out. In fact, in the next week or two, I'll be sending out some videos to my email subscribers, so make sure that you're subscribed so you can get those. I'll put all the links to it in the show notes, so no need to try and write it down right now. This week's guest is Tiffany Shem. Tiffany and I have known each other and taught together for the past six years. She's taught fourth and fifth grade and is now a math intervention aide at our school. And y'all, Tiffany brought the word on this week's episode. As I was editing the podcast, I was encouraged, and I've already sat through the whole conversation in real time. She shares about being diagnosed with a disease during her fourth year of teaching that actually caused her to take a break from teaching. And we talked about how our identity can get wrapped up in teaching and how dangerous that can be, especially as a new teacher. This episode will be encouraging to anyone, but if you are a first year or new teacher, I encourage you to really reflect on our conversation about establishing healthy boundaries because y'all burnout is real and it comes quick. And like in Tiffany's case, it came at the detriment of her health. But we also talk about much lighter things like the chance she uses to teach her kids math concepts and vocabulary. We also talk about how important it is that we take time to recognize other teachers and she shares her advice for working with students who are struggling academically. Oh, and y'all, I'm sorry, but we talk about poop. It's a funny conversation, though. All right, y'all, here is my conversation with Tiffany. Hey, Tiffany, welcome to the Simply Teach podcast. Woohoo! So excited to be here. So just start out telling us about like why you became a teacher, how you got into the profession, what made you want to do it. Okay. So actually in height, I've been working with kids, I think all my life, I think starting because I went to church since I was young and I ended up helping with summer school. I did like children's praise. I did Bible study teaching since I was in high school. Actually, one of my first jobs in high school was working at an after school program with kids. And so um, naturally, I knew I wanted to work with kids. But in high school, I actually was thinking that I wanted to be going to like the health care industry, actually, like going towards nursing like pediatric nursing. So I took, mm-hmm. um, actually, there's this program in my high school called Clinicals, where high school students get to go and shadow doctors. So I actually did that all throughout high school. And then my senior year of high school, I took this children's foundational class where we got to go to classrooms and uh, work with teachers and shadow them. And so I think after that, after my high school experience, my senior year, I was like, oh, my gosh, I I love being inside the classroom. I love working with kids like hands on. And so I think that year was was like the OK, I'm, I want to become a teacher. And so then I went to school. The college of my choice was Austin College. It's not in Austin. It's in uh, <laughs> It's an, it's like it? in Dallas, but right before Oklahoma. I know nobody's had, nobody has heard of it, but it's like a really small art, a liberal arts school. And I actually went there because of the five year master's program in teaching. So I got my, yeah, cause you were doing your master's the same year I was doing mine. I remember that both of our first year of teaching. Yes. I was, yes. I was finishing up my master's while I did my first year of teaching. So I actually majored in psychology and minored in English. And then on top of that, I was getting, um, I was working towards my master's. So I got, it was like a five-year program. That's why I chose that school. And so Mm -hmm. actually um, I love the school that I went to. I think because since my freshman year of college, I actually went into classrooms. So I've been in classrooms ever since freshman year of 
I mean, actually, I guess since high school, right? But since freshman year of college, and I think, you know, with teaching, I think the the more practice you get, the better. Right. So in a sense, I had all this practice all throughout college, which where like other, I feel like other people who go through education, they don't get a feel for the classroom until like what their third or fourth year. And I think that's important for teachers because I mean, even, even though I spent two years in a classroom during my last two years of college, it still did not prepare me for like what the real classroom was going to be like. Mm -hmm. So the more exposure you get to like the craziness of teaching, I feel like can help people decide, yes, I really do want to go through with this or maybe this isn't the best option for me. Yeah. Cause I think by the time you're in your third or fourth year, you've gone all throughout college. You're like, Oh shoot, maybe I don't want to do this. I think that's a dangerous thing. I think of the whole edgy, our education program in like public schools, mm-hmm. but I mean, who knows if that's going to change, but I think my, my college career, more than the content wise, I think I got a lot of practice with classroom management. And I think that's where like my classroom management and I got to see like so many different teachers and so many different styles of classroom management where I got to like pick and choose like what I liked, what I didn't want, what I wanted to try. So I think during my college career, that's when like classroom management got really like I got this down classroom management for sure. And that's good because I think that's what first year teachers struggle with the most is mm-hmm. knowing what routines to plan for. Like you can't really teach if you don't have a management plan in place mm-hmm. because, you know, kids are going to go crazy and you're not going to be able to, to manage them. And then, I mean, I feel like it's kind of really hard to do anything at that point. No, I, I totally agree. Actually, I think my passion grew where specifically I love working with underprivileged kids. And I think part of that comes back, goes back to my own story when I was growing up. Like I grew up in like a broke, in a sense, like a broken family with um, an abusive first father. And I don't know, all those things I didn't realize until when I started that I developed, I have a passion specifically for working with underprivileged underprivileged kids because of my own story because I can in a sense sympathize or empathize with them more it gives me more passion to work with the specific kids that we work with right even though even though it's a lot harder yeah for sure even though it's a lot harder emotionally and (laughs) draining but but how cool is that that like you get to use your story and like the -hmm. path that God has given you to like love on kids that you know, are one day going to turn around and say, oh, because of Ms. Shem, you know, I was in a rough situation, but because of Ms. Shem, like, I want to be a teacher too. And I want to do that for somebody else. Mm-hmm. I think that's really cool. We'll see if anybody wants to become a teacher, but I know I feel like the, the it keeps getting lower and lower the amount of people that mm-hmm. want to do it. Uh, what? T- okay. So my next question was going to be, what grades have you taught? What has your teaching career looked like? So teaching career wise, I've taught two years in fifth grade, two years in fourth grade. And this year is the year that I'm doing intervention. And what is, what does that role look like? Good question. So (laughs) I'm actually doing intervention part-time. So I do 20 hours a week. So I work with third, fourth, and fifth grade students that are tier three in math specifically. So I work with small groups of kids, just specifically on math. And what I try to do is work on more of the conceptual understanding of specific skills than focusing on the skills, if that makes sense. So going back to the foundational things. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> 
like do you go find those online or how do you get those I think I get I love I personally love love making like I love dancing or like making stuff with my I think for me I'm that type of learner let's just say like for me like a kinesthetic. yes kinesthetic and I'm not very good at memorizing things so for me I memorize things by songs and so that's how it came about and for me to like just the way I teach in general with all the activities and the very kinesthetic things is because like I'm that type of learner I was never like uh, sit down and memorize or things doesn't things didn't come very easy for me either like growing up and trying to learn so just knowing how the kids learn like our struggling kids learn I think that helps me to become the teacher I am right now just because I understand how they learn and even with math like people call me the math guru but you'd be so surprised how many of my high school friends are like Tiffany you teach math out of all people like (laughs) I'm actually really not confident in my own math and I'm not really like good at it but I think because I I I have to break it down for myself that's why I end up breaking it down for the kids because that's how I have to understand it I think I get nervous about like if I were ever to move up to fifth grade because I walk down the fifth grade halls and I see like decimals and the whole like fraction mm-hmm. flipping and multi and I'm like, no, thank you. It's, I don't, I would not be able to teach that. Yeah, I don't that. think we learned, we ever learned the ways that our kids are learning now. It's very conceptual and we we're just taught to, okay, just memorize uh, if it's time zero, I mean, times like 10, what are you going to do? Cross out the zero, add a zero. But nowadays you have, it's taught in a totally different way which is good but it's a challenge for us teachers because none of us grew up learning the way that we're teaching if that makes sense no it does because I remember when I came into probably second grade because that's when like in third grade they kind of already knew how to do adding and subtracting with regrouping but when I came to second grade and I had to teach them how to do it and I remember the instructional coach being like don't use the word carry or borrow. We have to use regrouping. And I was like, what? That No. But I mean, I've kind of fallen into that trap. And now I'm like, don't use carry. Don't use borrow. And I tell the parents not to teach them how to do it like that. But I, I wonder if I would have learned, mm-hmm. because math was a struggle for me too growing up. I hated it. Um, I wonder if I had learned math the way that I teach it if that would have helped me at all. And you know what? And I think, honestly, I think it would because you make so many more connections in your brain and it's not just memorization because some kids really aren't not, they don't have the ability Uh to memorize stuff like this. In our traditional math, I feel like that's what it was. You're just drilled on skills without the understanding. And for kids who need like a I don't know, right. a breakdown and you just made more, you actually made more connections in your brain if you are able to connect it to different things. So I'm, I'm there with you. I was right. not good at math. I struggled with math. <laughs> I still struggle with math to this day, but hopefully it'll change. Do you do any of the chants with your kids in this new role or is that kind of hard to? It's harder. It's harder to do that. I don't think I, I mean, when we're doing vocabulary, yes, I try to do the hand motions. I teach them the vocabulary with my little hand motions and ch- chants, if you want to call them. But I think song-wise, um, no. I've gone into classrooms and I've tried it, but I guess teachers don't continue to practice it. So it kind of just, you know, you have to make it if you're a class. It's different. I think that's what makes a classroom teacher different than, like, what I'm doing. Um, it's, it's just different. I can't. I wish I could do that as a whole class, but it's not my class to do like the chance with. And it goes back to as the teacher. If I'm there, I'll do it and I'll show them and I'll record. But it goes back to then is a teacher going to implement it? Because I think implementation is a huge thing. But okay, that brings up that brings up a good question that I didn't even think about being. So you're going into classrooms and working with kids, right? Are you pulling them out? So there's half and half. So some teachers, I'll just go in and sit in a corner and work with the kids there. Some um, some kids, I've been, I just bring them outside and work right outside the classroom. So what is that? I feel like I would have such a hard time going into another teacher's classroom and watching them teach. I would be critiquing and be like, 
I think you could do this better. Or what if you taught it like this? What is that like being in a classroom and it not being your classroom to like have control over? You know, I think that is, I think that's one of the most humbling for me is, it's very humbling for me to be in a classroom and not being in control of a whole classroom is very humbling for me. And I think, yes, I, I have seen things where I'm like, oh my gosh, that's so amazing. I'll tell the teacher, hey, that was great how you did this and this. It's not my role to like, I'm not a coach or anything, actually. I'm just an intervention teacher. But right. um, but if I see something awesome, I'll tell them, hey, awesome job. But, you know, more so than not, sometimes I'll see things that I don't necessarily agree with. But, I mean, it's it's a hard I'll make suggestions, but it goes back to, it's up to the teacher whether they want to do it or not. And I don't know, that is, it's not easy. But there are, there yeah. are some classrooms, uh, there are some teachers that are doing some amazing things too, so. Yeah. Yeah, I think I would struggle with that, especially missing the, you know, just I, I would imagine that this year has been hard in the sense of not having a classroom to yourself and not having your group of kids and then going in and seeing the fun things that teachers are doing and being like, oh, I don't get to do that with, you know. Yeah. I can imagine that being yes. really hard. You know, and I love doing like activities. I love doing chants. I love doing songs. And one thing with intervention is I don't have that much time with the groups of kids that I see. Mm-hmm. I only have maximum if not 30 minutes with each group. And so it only gives me time to like really introduce it, really help them understand it. And then we'll practice. But then even the practice has has to be like, yes, I can try to do a game with the practice and I'll try to do it when I can. But it's just, it's different than being inside the classroom. That's for sure. And the energy that you get from being inside the classroom is very different than working with a small group of kids. And I think that's what I miss as well, like the energy that you get from your classroom, because it is different. Okay. So for somebody listening, who's like, what are these chants she's talking about? Or like, tell us what, like I've walked into your classroom and I've seen you like up in the front, standing on tables, like, woo, you know, waving your hands around, but you said vocabulary. So do you do like, what kind of chants do you do for vocabulary? The ones I'm thinking of you doing are like the multiplication Mm -hmm. ones. So what do you do for vocabulary stuff? Like, Okay, it's like a simple, okay, for example, making, I'm sorry, I'm no, 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 it's okay, <laughs> no, like, um, like we did numerate, uh, some students still don't, uh, can't just can't get the vocabularies of fractions like numerator and denominator, right? So something simple like numerator, numerator, part, how many, denominator, denominator, whole, how many total? Like simple things like that when they're pointing to their head as their numerator, pointing to the, their bottom for a denominator. So like things like that, if that makes sense. Yeah. You'd be so proud of me. I did a fraction Uh song with my kids yesterday. We introduced fractions, which is my least favorite Uh unit to teach of all. And I have, I've had a fraction song that I've used for years really, but it was for third grade when they talk about numerator and denominator. Uh We don't talk about that in second grade. So my song has been kind of, you know, useless, but I, yesterday I was, I literally like told the kids, I was like, I'm going to come up with a song as we're doing it. So please be patient with me. And I think, I think they like that because then they get to be a part of making it. And it made me so happy because today we were doing fraction work and one of my really low students was I saw her in the back, like singing the song and doing the hand motions. And yeah. I was like, go girl. That, that's awesome. I think that's awesome. And, and the kids will use it. I think that it goes back to the kids will use it. And all the kids that come back, they're like, we remember the songs or the chants. That's one thing that sticks with them for forever. You post a lot on your Instagram. I mean, not a lot, but I've seen you post like letters that your kids send back to you. And I feel like that's a common theme that I see in the ones you post is them talking about the chants that you taught them. Yeah. I I think it goes back to something about music. I mean, we remember, I remember like old, like music from way back then, but it's something about music and how it connects Mm -hmm. and how it just sticks with you. It's really, I think it's a powerful tool. Yeah. That I don't think teachers probably use as much as they could, which is, you know, a shame because especially in this day and age, you can go on YouTube for almost anything and find a chant. That's true. I think, 
I think it goes back to some of the teachers I've talked to who I've tried to encourage, right? It's just like, it's out of their comfort zone. I think it goes back to how comfortable are you as a teacher to try to do it and have fun with it. You know, I think you have to be silly. You have to be silly. I told my kids when we did geometry, there was uh, the instructional coach at our school shared a YouTube video of our district math coordinator or somebody, I don't know, teaching a shape song. And so I like, it was a really long song and it was really hard. So I let her teach it on you. Like I put it on YouTube and I was like, here guys, we're going to learn this together. So anyways, I met her last week and I told her that I'd been using it and that I wanted to bring her in to help me introduce fractions with my kids. And I told them today, I said, Hey, y'all know the shape song lady? They're like, yeah. I said, I met her and I think she's going to come to our classroom. And you would have thought that I said like Justin Bieber or whoever is the cool person right now, uh, was going to come into our classroom. They're like, the shape song lady. That's so cool. Gosh. Yeah, it was exciting. It was funny to see them react like that. Okay, we've talked a little bit or mentioned a little bit about you taking a year off from teaching. Mm-hmm. So will you kind of go into that? And I want to spend a few minutes there talking about why you did that. And then I'll have some more questions after that. Yeah. So by the end of my f- yeah, fourth year. Actually, um, I was diagnosed with uh, Graves' disease. It's an autoimmune disease. So basically, what that is is it's like an it's a hormonal disease in a sense. You can say. Um, so there there was um, an overdump of hormones in my body. So in a sense, it's like uh, when your body goes in fight or flight mode, right? Uh, Mm -hmm. my body was definitely on fight for however long. And when that happens, your body, you know, when you're at stress, cortisol is released into your body. And so I think there was just a massive amount. And so it triggered my body to go on this hyperspeed mode, like 500,000 miles per hour. (laughs) And so I think at one point my body just started breaking down and I noticed, I started noticing that I was like always really tired even though I got like I tried to go to sleep for like eight hours, I would wake up and be exhausted. Um, there are moments where I just couldn't handle my emotions. I didn't realize like, am I going crazy? Why am I crying all the time? Why do I feel so emotional? I um, I was having a lot of uh, indigestion problems, and so finally, when I got my test results back. Um, it was flagged for this disease I have. And I was like, oh my gosh, I'm not going crazy. At least I know something's wrong. And so uh, mm-hmm. that, I was very glad that I found out that something was causing me to feel this way. But at the same time, at one point, um, after I found out that I had this disease and that stress actually um, heightens all of the symptoms that come come with the thyroid disease, Kevin and I, my husband, Kevin and I um, started to pray and started to talk about like, what am I going to do next year? Am I going to continue? Am I going to take a break? What's going to happen? And I think for the longest time, I was like, no, I'm going to teach. I'll get better. I'll take care of myself. I still want to teach. But I think there was one day um, when I was at school, like my body I started sweating profusely. My heart rate was like super high. And I actually had to leave school early that day because like I was like shaking and everything. And um, I think at that moment, that day, I didn't realize like, I think that was the day where I had to step back and really be like, okay, Tiffany, like this can't, I mean, is it worth it? Is it worth like you feeling like this and like, you being emotional all the time. And I wasn't, you know, my kids got the grunt end of that sometimes when I'm super emotional, when I was snapped really quickly. So I think that day when um, my heart rate was just going sky high and I had to come home and I had to go to the uh, urgent care. I think at that point I was like, okay, maybe it's time for me to think of what I can do next year. And so I think that was the day where I decided I'm going to take a break. I think that was... And even during that whole time, I think, I don't know, it's a really hard decision personally for me because I love being inside the classroom. Like, you know, as a person who loves it and who has a passion for it, I love the kids. I love building relationships. 
Uh, and it's, it was a big part of my identity. I think that was my identity. And so taking a, so that's how I, I ended up taking a year off. I was going to, I was thinking about like, maybe I can do something part-time, maybe I can do something else. But I think um, Kevin and I decided that I'll just take a break altogether. And that definitely was like one of the hardest um, decisions that I've made in such a long time. If you, if, if, yes, I think that was one of the hardest decisions to make, to take a year off. So yeah, that's how I took a year off. Well, and I think you bring up a valid point about you and I are about the same age. And, um, you know, when we started teaching, we were single or not married at least. And then like no kids. And like, I definitely feel like my identity became and still is, you know, to an extent wrapped up in teaching and being the best teacher and like putting on this, Mm -hmm. like I can do anything kind of front And it's like you keep doing that, but then there comes a point where, you know, like your body said, hey, you can't do this anymore. Like you're, you're ruining your body at this, you know, for, I don't want to say like being a perfectionist, but doing something that you were passionate about, but not knowing, like, I think we have a hard time teachers finding the balance of like when to shut off teaching and when to be like a normal person. Yeah. I don't know what I mean. Yes. I don't think it ever shuts off. It never shut off for me. And I think another that, you know, you bring about a good point. I think the whole, like, um, you know, I think one thing that also fueled like me wanting to stay was definitely like there were results. Right. And not saying that I'm the best teacher, but because there was results too, like there's this whole, you're trying to, you try to up, you're like, okay, I'm going to, there's like an expectation you have for yourself that other people have that just continue to drive you to go like what, 150%. And yeah, I think, I don't know, as a teacher, how do you shut that off? Like how, and I ask people this, I, you know what, this is a question I ask people, like, how do you shut it off? Do you ever shut it off? Especially with people who have kids, like, do they shut it mm-hmm. off? And even they say it's, it's hard, like something gives, right. Whether it be your personal right. life, whether it be your, your teaching job, like something, something gives. And I, it's hard. It's a struggle for me right now. Cause I feel like I'm at that point where I'm ready to try something different in the education world. But like, I'm, I'm still teaching. I'm still here and I need to be a hundred percent there. And like, I kind of forgot where I was going with what I was saying. <laughs> um, what did you say? You said, how do you find that? What did you say? Uh, how do people turn it? Like, how do people oh. turn it off? Okay. This is do people even turn it off? Right. The, okay. And this is what I was going to say is like, I'm at that point where I'm like, okay, maybe like teaching in the classroom isn't like my passion at this point. Like maybe I'm ready to try something else. And so I do, because it's not something that's like, you know, my first year of teaching, I would get to school at 630 in the morning and I would stay until five or six o'clock and I, and I was happy to do it. But then now six years in, I'm like, okay, I'm walking in with the kids most of the days and I'm leaving, you know, at 340 when our contract time is over. And I think that's healthy. I think that's really good. And, and I want teachers to know that staying late or getting early doesn't make you a good teacher. But I will say that I struggle a lot mm-hmm. with leaving early and I see other teachers still there. And I'm like, well, does that make me a bad teacher? You know, am I not a good teacher because I'm not staying here and putting in all these hours? And I know like my mind knows that that's not the truth, but it's hard because I, I feel like in teaching I mean, we're all women. We're, we're, you know, there's competition. We're watching each other and, oh, well, she's doing that and I'm not. And, you know, I think that's a struggle that a lot of teachers work with and I, or struggle with. And I, I try to encourage teachers, like, you have to draw the line somewhere because if you don't, mm-hmm. you're going to reach burnout, you know? And, and I kind of wish yeah. that as a younger teacher, I would have been better about drawing that line sooner because, you know, I wonder if it would make me still 
be a little bit more passionate than I am right now. Does that make sense? Yes. And, and, you know, to add on to that, I think there's a variety of things that go with, I think, first of all, I think as first year teachers or like younger teachers who just caught in, there's so much passion because it's your first time, but, and you want to try everything, want to give all. So there's that. And how do we tell teachers to like, Hey, like, right. Because it's valid. It's a valid excitement. (laughs) Yes. But I think another thing is like with the whole comparing thing, which I've learned is like people's people's best is very different. Like somebody's best might be very different from another person's best. And we don't, it's not very, we don't think about that very often. And I think another thing is we lack encouraging each other. I don't, I don't know. I think just in our campus personally, Mm -hmm. I think we lack the encouragement of like encouraging other teachers, like taking the time to be like, Hey, you did this really well. Like, what are you like really like, I don't know, encouraging each other, Mm -hmm. like specifically, I think we lack in that. Maybe if we are better at that, uh, there'd be more, I don't know, just encouragement. I didn't realize like encouragement goes such a long way. Just like those little things give, you know, mm-hmm. like our kid coming back and saying, thank you. Oh my gosh. Like that will give us, get us going for like however long, right? Like just little right. things like that. I wish teachers were better at like encouraging each other in that way. And I think for me personally, because I am definitely like, I mean, this is, like a flaw of mine and something that I'm trying to work on, but you know, it's hard, but competition looking and seeing what other people are doing. And so I think for some, if, if another teacher, especially one that I like respect and admire were to come and say to me, Hey, great job on this. Mm -hmm. Like that would almost impact me more than my principal or my evaluator for whatever it's called now T test uh-huh. <laughs> saying that you did it, you know, like another teacher coming and seeking you out and saying, like complimenting you on something you did. Yeah. And I think a, a thing that I've noticed at our campus is like, everybody's just so tired. Like the, mm-hmm. everybody's just so tired. And, you know, that's the only thing I have to say. Everybody's just so tired and so wrapped up in like what the, they have to do. In their own. Yeah. That is hard to look out like, but I was leaving campus at 4.45 today and I like was walking and I heard this voice from the back say bye and I turned around and it was one of my team members, the person who teaches across the hall from me. And I said, bye. And she goes, I don't think I've said one word to you all day. And I was like, no, we haven't. And it kind of, I, I felt like, wow, Kelly, like you didn't even like take the second to go walk across the hall and say good morning, you know, because we're just so in our zone and in our classroom and all the things. And when we get in our zone, we get in our zone. (laughs) Yeah, we do. So what did you do when you were on your, your time off? What were you doing during that time? Um, so during my time off, I explored my hobbies. That's for sure. I started, I didn't realize like, I love making my own like, I made Google Slides. I made in my classroom. That is like, I was making a lot of things, and I didn't realize like, yes, it was work. I should have been better about not working. But I love like creating things, and I didn't realize like being outside the classroom. I didn't really have to, and I didn't realize like that part, like that creative part. Like I wanted to express, like I wanted to. I wanted a creative outlet. Outlet. Mm-hmm. I didn't realize teaching was a part of that creative outlet for me if that makes sense. And so I started getting into like video editing and I enjoyed that. Um, So I video edited, I started like a side um, Instagram for coffee shops, exploring coffee shops around Austin. What is that? Tell me, I didn't even realize you were doing that. So what is that? Yeah. So it's just like an, uh, it's like an Instagram. I started actually making videos with a friend of coffee shop reviews because I love going to coffee shops and working on things. And so there's so many coffee shops here in Austin. And so yeah, it started off as like making videos and doing video reviews to show like coffee shop atmosphere and getting to know the owners and how coffee shops started. And then now, right now, I mean, it just turned into like pictures and descriptions. So it's just like a social media account where I showcase like different coffee shops in Austin. Okay. What's your Instagram for that? In case people want to oh. follow it. I sure. Okay. Oh yeah. Here's a plug. <laughs> Eight. <laughs> it's ATX coffee vibes. 
Okay. And then next question, here you go. I'm putting you on the spot. Top three coffee shops in Austin. Go. Ooh, top, top three in Austin. Okay. Well, one of them has to be manana just because of the lighting and the amazing pastries. So okay. that's one. You said lighting? Huh? Like the lights? Yes, like the, the windows. The lighting is amazing. Okay. So manana is one. I think another one would have to be, oh gosh, it's so hard. Oh. Another one would have to be Flat Track in East Austin just because their coffee is good. I like the... I like that they're attached to a bike shop. So you get a different type of vibe there. Mm-hmm. And then another one would have to be this. Oh, gosh. <laughs> this is the oh final God. one. Oh, gosh. Oh, gosh. Spokesman is pretty good. Just because it's a very, it's an industrial feel. And I love the, the owner there. It makes all the difference, like knowing their story. Okay, well, I'm going to include those in the show notes, but maybe Cody and I will go try one of them sometime soon when we do an Austin. Hey, you do. Date. You do. And there are some, there are some new like bars slash coffee shops too, if, you, if you guys would just want to. That's kind of the new thing right now. Yes, beer and coffee. Yes. Yeah. Let me yeah. know. I'll give you recommendations. Okay. Okay, what else? Were you, there's one other thing you were doing in your time off. What was it? Oh yes, I was <laughs> I was blogging a lot more than right now. But yes, I was blogging um, on the teacher blog that Courtney and I, a friend and I, started. So that is what I was doing. And what's it called? It's called, <laughs> it's called Mustard Seed Teaching. But yes, Kelly is my inspiration to bust out more of those posts because. Go you, Kelly. Thank you. I'm having Courtney on next week to talk about. Fun. So so both of the gurus behind mustard seed teaching. Um, Okay. What you mentioned classroom management being kind of your groove, something that you feel really good at. Mm -hmm. And then um, I was also reading like in your little thing that you filled out talking about how when you've already kind of mentioned this actually about kids that struggle. And when I I feel like when a kid struggles and they're, they're failing academically, that leads to behavior issues. And then the behavior issue, you know, it's hard to teach them. Mm -hmm. So how do you handle those kinds of kids that are struggling academically and then it leading to behavior issues? I think for sure, Classroom management definitely ties into that. Like, I think classroom management, part of that is like pacing. So I think my class is very fast paced in a sense where I'm not leaving kids behind, but it's fast enough to where kids don't really have time to like goof around or get distracted. I think another thing is just coming up with activities that will that the kids want to participate in and they feel like they can um, achieve or they can, uh, is that the right word? Achieve and not, they can make, they can do it. They can be successful on. Okay. There we go. They can be (laughs) successful. There we go. That's the word. Yes. Activity, like fun activities and including in those activities, like things that they can feel successful in. I think that's another thing. And then really like, I think especially for math, at least like, Every kid, even the kid that really struggles, can get the skill. With enough practice and with enough like guidance, the kids can get the skill. And so I think building up like the kids who really struggle, their confidence and knowing and realizing that it can take a while for those kids to gain that confidence. You know, like our, you know, we have one kid in common with the yes. with the dread look. Uh-huh. Yes, remember uh-huh. him. Sweet baby. <laughs> like, I mean, he's a classic ex- example of like kids who failed like all throughout their elementary school career. Like those kids, yes, they are, they can be successful, but once they feel like they can't do it, their confidence just even though they built it, it can go like yeah. in one like one problem can get them like oh I can't do this. So I think it's like understanding like as a teacher like un- not getting frustrated and understanding that these kids like. Their first instinct is to go back in their little hole and be like, I can't do this. But then I think just Mm -hmm. instilling in them like the confidence through like 
through the activities that I plan through like classroom management through like the songs and chants, I think are a big one because really they cannot, even the really ones that struggle, they'll like, if they can get those finger rolls, the confidence shoots mm-hmm. through the roof. Like, and then I think mm-hmm. just knowing your kids, like where your kids are. And so let's say we were doing a whole group activity and we're practicing like a problem, right? calling on them specifically when you know that they know the answer so they feel successful. So I think there's like a combination of I think it's a combination of everything for your behavioral students. And I think of course it's that relationship, the time, the relationship that you build and just real helping them understand that you be, like you believe in them and that mistakes are okay. I think that's one thing I don't know if I never got this growing up but you know mistakes aren't really looked on as like a thing that helps you grow as a learner and then and I always tell my kids hey I make mistakes all the time like feel free to call me out and there have been kids who call me out like I make mistakes too you know and so yes you know those kids that like every time you make a mistake (laughs) they call you out you're like yes I made a mistake go you we all make mistakes and I think like instilling in them that mistakes are totally a part of learning and that even like to never give up. I think that's, I think that's my motto in my classroom, like never give up, never give up. And I think, you know, it, when I read like those dear fourth grade, like I make my kids write to the upcoming grade. And I think a lot of my kids, write, You know, never, just never give up. I think just instilling in them. It, I think that goes with, I guess, like classroom management and building your classroom environment to where Kids feel safe to like talk, to make mistakes and to take risks. And that that's so cool that when they're leaving fourth grade and they're reflecting on that, that like you've instilled that in them so much to never give up that they're, yes. you know, passing that on to the next group. So go you for like pumping that into them and reminding of them, <laughs> reminding <laughs> of them. Reminding them of that daily. Okay, I could not get that out. Um, but you you brought up that little boy that we shared, and he, like, will always hold a special place in my heart. You know how some kids just, like, really just, like, have... All your tough ones, in a sense. Like, mo- not all of them, but most of them really will. Because you spend the most time with them. Like, you yeah. spend the most energy trying to, like, work with them, trying to build up their confidence. And so... And that kid, like, I had to get across to him that you know what? Academics may not be your strong suit and that's okay because you know why? You're a kick-ass football player. I never said those words to him, but like (laughs) he was an amazing football player Mm -hmm. and like, you know, like kids, it's hard because at school they want to be perfect at school, but Mm -hmm. it's like, hey, you know what? You're awesome on the football field and that kid can't even catch a ball to save their life. You know, like everybody has their strengths and their weaknesses and math may be a struggle for yours, for you, but that just means you're going to have to work harder. It doesn't mean you can't do it. You're just going to have to work harder. And I think those are important conversations that you have to have when you're building that relationship with them and building that classroom community. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah. No, I totally, I totally agree. Okay. We're going to wrap up and I'm going to ask you three questions. Mm-hmm. Ready? Yes. Okay. Biggest pet peeve in teaching? Uh, biggest pet peeve. It's not actually with the teaching, but it's what other people around me who aren't teachers say is, oh, you're so lucky. You get you get summers off. I think that's my biggest pet peeve because teachers deserve their summers off. We, what do you say whenever they... Work. What do you say whenever they... You hear people say that? What do you... What's your... Response to them. Teachers deserve it. <laughs> I just say teachers deserve their summer though. I feel like I would get on this soapbox and like I'm I'm really bad about speaking my mind. And so I'll like be like, you want to have this conversation? Come sit down, let me tell you. So okay, what keeps you sane during all the teaching craziness? I think what teach uh, keeps me sane is Definitely, I think a mindset thing of I'm not, I don't always have to be in control, knowing that I don't always have to be in control and that really in the end, God is in control. And it's definitely something that I have to continuously remind myself. I think that is what really just keeps me sane. 
that's a hard lesson, especially for someone who like me, who is very controlling, like wanting to, I don't, I don't mean that in like a bad sense, but just wanting to like no, really have a handle on like what's going on. Yes. And I remember my second year of teaching when I was really struggling with a group and having to realize like, I can't control these kids. Like, you're right. God is the only one in control. And I don't know what he's doing other than (laughs) driving me crazy. (laughs) But that's a hard thing to be reminded of in the moment. You know? Yes. And, you know, to add to that, I think, and this is something that I learned in my year off and what I'm continuously learning now. And it's just understanding that my, I don't want my identity to be fully in teaching, if that makes sense. Like knowing that my, I'm Tiffany, I'm not just solely a teacher. Because right. once you put your identity in what you do, you do everything to protect your identity, mm-hmm. whatever your identity is. And I don't know, there's just reminding myself, like, I'm more than my identity is not just in teaching. Like, that's not the identity that God wants me to have, if that right. makes sense. Yeah, because our identity as Christians is in Christ. And when we, like, I mean, anytime anybody says, hi, you know, introduces it, what's the first thing out of our mouth? Hi, I'm Kelly. I'm a teacher. And you know what? That's so true, you know, and I've noticed when my year off, everybody, I met a lot of new people through, uh, through social media. And every time it's like, oh, hey, what do you do? And now I don't even ask that question because I realize like, I don't like answering. I don't want to put my identity in teaching. And even when somebody asks me, what do you do? I'm, I just tell them, oh, I work in the education field. I try not to say I am a teacher because once you say that too, your identity is more strong, right. stronger, if that makes sense. That's a good, that's a good word. I'm going to have to think about that because, you know, I think it is a struggle to feel like your identity and everything that you are is wrapped around teaching. Okay, last question. Favorite kid moment can be serious, can be funny, can be whatever you want it to be. Okay, this is a pretty uh, funny and gross one, but my favorite slash funny slash gross student moment was when I sat down in one of my students' chair and I sat down on his leftover poop. He was definitely a pooper. And I didn't notice, girl, I didn't notice until I smelled something funny at our faculty meeting. I went to the bathroom. <laughs> I was like, what's the smell? Oh Nobody my gosh. I went to the bathroom and I like just touched like my body. <gasps> and there was. <laughs> and I, know. I never sit down. <laughs> we shared this kid. We sh- I know exactly who this kid is because we shared oh him. God. I can't say I ever sat in his poop, but I did smell it a lot. My first year of teaching. Wait, keep going with your story. I'm sorry. I interrupted. Keep going. Oh, no, 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 no. And I just never, I never sit down in students' chairs anymore because of this kid. That's fair. Because of my experience. Right, right, right. Um, My first year of teaching, I literally found a turd on the ground in my classroom. Like kids were like... Miss Buckteen, um, there's poop on the ground. And I was like, no, there's not. So I walked over there and I like almost reached down to grab it. But I was like, oh, let me go get a paper towel. So I grabbed a paper towel and I picked it up to like, cause it kind of looked like mud and I like smelt it. And I was like, that is definitely what they said it was. Oh my gosh. You picked it, it up? Attracted. Yes. I wiped it up. <laughs> Like, what else was I supposed to do? I mean, it was like a little, like, I mean, I don't want to go into graphic gory details, but like, oh, and then it was like trying to figure out who, what third grader wants to admit that, yeah, I crapped on the floor. Like, I just popped, you know, oh my gosh, that was funny. It was, it was bad. Yeah. I'm sure that there's probably more, um, teaching poop stories out there than people would care to admit. Well, Thank you, Tiffany, for being on the Simply Teach podcast. I really appreciate oh, thanks for having me. Yeah, I really appreciate you coming and talking and sharing your story about, you know, taking a year off and what that looked like and what you've been learning through that. I think 
that there's going to be a lot of teachers that are going to relate to the feelings, maybe not the physical things you were struggling with, but the emotional feelings of your identity and all that. So thanks for sharing that. Of course. Mic drop. That's what I want to say to Tiffany right now. I hope that you are encouraged by her words on setting boundaries and not letting our identity get tied up in teaching. Whether you identify yourself as a Christian or not, the minute we tie our identity up in our job, things can get dangerous and our teaching identity can be taken away from us so quickly. And then what do we have? Since Tiffany and I have talked, I've taken a few things back to my classroom to implement, like keeping my room fast paced. The kids have responded well to it and I'm loving it because we're not wasting any more time. Also, I've been adding chance and hand signs to almost everything I teach, especially in math, and the kids are picking up on it and doing it with me, and I'm seeing so many light bulbs go off. And remember that shape lady I mentioned? I've got her scheduled to come on the podcast in April. She's our district elementary math coordinator, and she's my new favorite person. I literally watched her teach one lesson to one of my small groups for 15 minutes, and it has totally revamped my math lessons since then. So make sure you're subscribed to my email list so you know when that episode releases. Friends, thank you so much for listening to another episode of Simply Teach. Don't forget to head over to the simplyorganizedteacher.com for all of the show notes, links to things we talked about today, and you can sign up for my email list. Also, be sure to find the Facebook group. I want to be your social media friend. The fun music you're listening to, that's provided by hooksounds.com. That wraps up this week's episode. Thanks for listening to Simply Teach Podcast. We hope you enjoyed this week's interview. Make sure to join back next week for a new episode. And don't forget to subscribe on iTunes. And leave a review so other great teachers like you can find us.